0: So first of all I want to just thank the Lord for this privilege, the privilege to share. I don't take it lightly. I thank God for the uh, pastor Jimenez and the elders to give this forum. This this helps people like me to grow more uh, and to exercise uh, such things. So I don't, I don't take it lightly. So thank you so much for this privilege to share. Uh also as I've said before, I think this is an undue advantage poor pastor jim he does this week after week uh, he's generous enough to give us way weeks in advance maybe he told me this maybe three four weeks in advance to be able to uh, prepare so just to let you know i appreciate i appreciate all that so shall we pray father we're grateful today we thank you for your word we thank you for the privilege to gather as your children to just uh, learn from your word we ask you, Holy Spirit, to guide us as we uh, learn from Acts. Thank you for what you are teaching us in the Book of Acts. Thank you for the men and the women you are using in that book to challenge our Christian faith. Help us tonight, today, to be able to learn more from you. In Jesus' name, we're prayed. Amen. So today we're going through the Book of Acts, chapter twenty-seven. Ooh, twenty-seven. Uh, it's the first. Uh, verse one to twenty-six. So the book of Acts reveals to us, uh you know, the, what God did through the the disciples or the apostles uh, in the early church, how the church uh, started, and and what God was doing. You know, they call it the Acts of the Apostles, but I think the the real way to look at the book of Acts, thank God we started from chapter 1 or up till now we're in chapter 27. If you want to really put the book of Acts very well, it should be titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it was God at work in the lives of these apostles or people we read about that really showcase it showcases the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of ordinary people to do wonderful things. So that's that's actually the book of Acts. And, and, and lately we're about to finish, uh, we thank God for what He's been revealing or teaching us in the book of Acts. We see so many wonderful, uh, people in the book of Acts that God used, ordinary men, like you and I. And then, uh, at this tail end we're seeing the life of Paul. And, and what God was using Apostle Paul, uh, to do, uh, in, uh, in the book of Acts. So this, this chapter 27, um it talks about the, the the trip from Caesarea. Now Paul uh, has been in, in detention for some time. Now he appealed to Caesar. Caesar is the emperor. The Romans were the superpower of of those days. They were uh, ruling the world. So, and their their seat of power is in Rome. So, for all that to happen, somebody who appealed their cases maybe let the Supreme Court sort of, he has to go to Rome. That's where Caesar, that's where the seat of the Roman Empire was. And there you are in Jerusalem or Caesarea, he appealed to Rome, they have to take a trip. So that's what happened. So today we're going to talk about the trip on the sea, what happened to them. So today's study is Apostle Paul's near-death voyage to Rome. So let's break it down. The first three verses talks about Apostle Paul with others. On the ship to Rome. So who are those people with them on the ship? It wasn't only him. And then uh, four to eight, we're going to talk about the journey to Fair Haven. Where is Fair Haven? And then um, uh, nine to twelve, we're going to talk about Apostle Paul's advice, first the expert's advice. And then we're going to talk about thirteen to twenty, the raging storm, no hope for survival. And then lastly, we're going to talk about uh, twelve to sixteen, God's encouragement and deliverance. Through Paul. And then we'll talk about conclusions. Um, You see, um, this passage is an account of Paul's voyage from Caesarea to Rome. First was the governor sent Paul to Rome since the appeal, he appealed to Caesar, the emperor in Rome. Because Paul was not getting a fair trial with the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem who were bent on killing Paul or get a death sentence from the Roman government against Paul. Sorry, we're not going to be able to read the Bible passage as we normally do. But we'll be reading from sections and sections. So, talking about shipwreck. See, Paul, how how will Paul get to Rome? So, for Paul to get to Rome, there was no other way from Jerusalem except by sea. There was no greyhound buses in those days. No Amtrak trains. No airplanes. That's over 2,000 years ago. Uh, I, I wish I know if, if it is, I'm sure Pastor Jim will have gotten a good map on the, to show you how the journey, but, <laughs> but I, I, I'm sorry, I won't be able to provide you with a map. Uh, but let's talk about shipwreck, the story of shipwreck. How many of you, you've seen the Titanic, the movie I've seen the movie. I've never read it, the book, but see the Titanic, this happened. This is really, really what happened in 2012. Uh the captain was named Smith. It was Captain Smith. That's the name of the guy, the captain in charge of the Titanic. Uh, it was one of the best sailors in the world. He had almost 40 years of experience on the sea. So the ship also, the Titanic, was the largest man-made moving object in the world of his time, almost 10 story built, 10 story high. So uh, it, it was regarded as the most luxurious. The safest ship ever built, designed to be unsinkable, even if she collides with another ship on the sea. I mean, that was what, and that was the first maiden, the, the maiden voyage. And that was how the Titanic was, you know, happened to the Titanic. Uh, the Titanic cruise ship recorded one of the greatest losses of lives in, in maritime sea travel history. There were over one about 000, one and people perished with the Titanic. Only less than five hundred people were saved on that on that cruise ship, that Titanic. Among the dead on the Titanic were some of the wealthiest millionaires and billionaires, and also immigrants coming to America. That's how they all met their death on the sea. See, the Titanic. A narrowly escaped iceberg. The What happened to Titanic? There was an iceberg. They saw it at the dying minute. It narrowly escaped the iceberg by turning uh, uh, its side just scrape the iceberg. And it took only two hours for the unsinkable uh, ship to sink into the sea. That was it. Two hours for them to get ready And that was all. So it was designed to have about 48 lifeboats on board. But it, but at that time I was also uh, reading up or watching the investigation. It took only 16, they had out of 48 lifeboats they were supposed to have during construction. They said, well, they want the, this is the most luxurious ship in the world, the biggest in the world. They wanted people to see, to have the best view. So they cut down the 48 lifeboats to 16 for emergency, uh, because the way they built it, it was supposed to be unsinkable, so, and and the rest was history of a Titanic it was one of the, the the major incident ever happened on the sea. So coming back to uh, Acts 27. So let's, 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 let's look at it. Uh, I was also privileged for the first time. I mean, my wife and I, we were able to save some money and to celebrate our 25th year anniversary. We, for the first time, we went on a cruise. We went to the Bahamas, uh, just about two months ago. And I was able to also see what the sea, the oceans is all about. I'm telling you, no matter how big those ship or those cruises are, we're just, you're just a speck on the ocean. So this is what uh, we're we're now going to look at the ocean, the trip of Apostle Paul joining to Rome. So let's go to that, Acts 27. So when it was decided that we would sail to Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in an uh, Adrametian uh, a ship, which was about to sail to the regions uh, uh, along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. And the next day we put in at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. So the journey started from Caesarea, you know, the Jewish uh, territory. Now the journey started going to Rome. And, uh, why were, why, why were they sailing to Rome? Well, you see, the Festus, the governor, sent Paul to Rome since he appealed to Caesar, that em, the emperor of Rome, Apostle Paul was not getting a fair trial with the Jewish leaders who were bent on killing him at all costs. Maybe we'll just look at one chapter or one passage that talks about that. Acts 25, 6 to 12. And see, so this is how it reads. And when they had remained along, among more than Ten days, that is Festus now, the Festus gov- the new governor that took over after Paul was in detention for many years. He went down to Caesarea the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. And when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious cons- uh, complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered to himself uh, for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Ten. And Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews, I have done nothing wrong, as you are very well. You know very well. For if if I am an offender or committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to die. But if there is nothing of these things in which these men accuse me of, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, then when he had conferred with the council, said, "You appeal to Caesar. To Caesar you will go." So this was the backdrop of how Paul had to be taken to Rome for continuation of of the court case. But actually, God had already told Paul that as he testified in Jerusalem, so also he would testify in Rome. So there had been uh, a prophetic or prophet or God's plan to take Paul to Rome. How he would do it, God did not tell Paul. So this was how God planned for Paul to end up in Rome. So who was there uh, uh, about to sail with Paul? Who were there? Who were the people? See, in the first three verses we see Julius was part of them on the boat. We see also uh, um, Aristarchus was there, and of course uh, the person, the uh, the physician Luke, that was writing uh, the the book of Acts. So the first verse is: uh, they deliver Paul to uh, a centurion called Julius. Who was Julius? Julius was a soldier in charge of 100 soldiers of the Roman Empire. Julius belonged to the Roman Italian establishment, a very prestigious unit. We'll talk about Julius later. Also, the person accompanying was Aristarchus. Aristarchus also is from, he was from Thessalonica. He was one of the, uh, he was one of Apostles Paul's travel companion, um, who followed Paul to Greece to Ephesus and to Jerusalem. He remained with Paul during his imprisonment. Thank God for faithful brothers who once, who served, who were willing to serve uh, God in such way to serve apostle Paul. Also the last one is Luke the physician who wrote the book also was accompanying them. Who were also in the ship. Also the ship owner, the crew members, Roman soldiers guarding the prisoners and then also prisoners too were there. So the total of people In fact, if you look at Acts 27, 34, tells us how many people were on the ship. It says, uh, 276 people traveling on this trip. So they started their journey, and then they got in, uh, Aradrim, Aradrimathian ship. They sailed along the coast. They were sailing along the coast to, uh, present day Turkey. So verse 3 tells us more. The next day we put Uh, were put on inside at Sidon and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends to receive care. Now, let's talk about this Julius, this centurion. See? uh, The centurion Julius stationed at Caesarea. He was responsible for all the prisoners, including Paul, traveling to Rome on this ship. He gave Paul liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Question is, why would a Roman soldier or a a prison warden, a centurion, trust Paul to give him such liberty, not afraid that he might run away? You see, maybe Julius most likely knew about Paul's character, either from knowing or hearing about Paul, who had been in detention in Caesarea for two years. Julius had soldiers, uh, uh, okay, there were other prisoners on the voyage uh, who appealed to, uh, to Caesar like Paul. Unfortunately, uh, some will be imprisoned when they get to Rome. Some will get their death penalty. Some will get free or freedom. And some will be used as spots in Colosseum to be thrown to lions. So, all these people, they were going there to continue their court cases. But this Julius... There was something about this centurion that saw the life of Paul. That was able to respect Paul and give him liberty. Not even fearing that this man might run away. I'm sure he had overstudied Paul and seen that this man is a man of integrity. So the centurion. And then we see in the Bible uh, that some of these centurions, they were men of character uh, in the Bible. The the, the puzzling thing is that many of these centurions we read about, they were men of integrity and such wonderful life. But when you compare them with the the politicians of Rome, these politicians were horrible, like their emperor. I mean, isn't that the same story today? (laughs) What our politicians are. And what those disciplined soldiers are. So, but let's talk about the centurion. Examples of this, some of this centurion we see in Luke chapter 7 verse 1. The first one is this centurion who his slave was sick. And he, he loved that slave so much that he sent for Jesus. And look at how the the elders of the Jews talked about this centurion. I'm talking of Luke chapter 7 verse 1 to 10. An example of some centurions we see in the Bible. One of them, as I said, this one, his slave was sick. So he's, he pleaded, look at verse from verse, uh, Luke 7 from verse 3. So when he had heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, that means to Jesus, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that, uh, that the one of whom he should do this was deserving. Why? Verse 5, for he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Nobody is deserving of anything with God. But this, for the Jews, this centurion loved God, so he loved the nation, and he built them a synagogue. So we see one of the characteristics of, of, of this type of centurion. Another example we see, it's in it's Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, from verse 1 to 8. Because of time, we're just going to read maybe two verses about Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. He's in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout God-fearing, give generously to those in need. They pray to God continually, and one day, in about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, called him by name. So we see an example of these centurions in the Bible. Different uh, uh, These different centurions exhibiting such wonderful characters of life and integrity. The third one also is this, Julius. So let's talk about this Julius the Centurion. So Julius was an extraordinary kind, uh, extraordinarily kind, treated Paul with consideration out of uh, out of these prisoners. The Centurion may have been familiar with Papa, of Paul in his case, in his Caesarea, uh, he heard about Paul's plea, his own case in front of the two governors, he may have heard that, in front of Felix and Festus, and the King Agrippa too. Julius may have con- may have been convinced that Paul was innocent of all the charges about Brought against him by the Jews, so this Julius treated Paul with like like a friend, like an no set man, a scholar, a gentleman, a man with passion for God. So while in Sidon, they were taking care of business pertaining to the ship. Julius gave Paul liberty to go and and visit his friends and refresh himself. If if Apostle Paul had escaped, Julius would have paid for his own, for with his own life. So what is the application here? How do we deal? with people in our sphere of influence? What about people? What will people say about us in our relationship with others? How do we influence others? Are you making, are we making impact in people's lives? Okay, so let's continue now from verse 4. 4 to 8, we see the journey from Caesarea to fear even. From there, Uh, From verse four. From there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the wind was contrary. When we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cecilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Mera in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for the Italy, and we put us on board it. When we had sailed slowly from a good many days and with difficulty had arrived off Klinos, since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, of Salome. And with difficulty, sailing past it, we came to a place called Fear Haven, near which was the Sea of Lycia. So now, as they were sailing, the wind did not favor their sailing. Sailors must do as they can, what they can do as they would, as they, uh, uh, do as they would because they are dependent on the winds and how it blows to make the best of the winds. See, so as they were coming, they got to a place. Julius decided to get another ship, which was the Alexandrian ship. This ship was coming from Egypt in Africa. This ship was carrying grain. So, he now uh, offloaded them to a different ship, the Alexandrian ship, and then from there, they began to sail to Rome. Now, because in those days, uh, Egypt uh, was a real food basket to the world in those days, Africa. Uh, so, uh, many of, uh, they, they import corn. They import a lot of grains, uh uh, they export, I'm sorry, they export a lot of grain to all over the world. So, corn was exported from Egypt to, in, in Africa to Italy, Persia, Israel, and the old Mediterranean. They sailed, so, um, um, with much difficulty, was their travel through the voyage. It was, uh, it was, uh, not dang, not highly dangerous yet, but it was tedious. It was difficult. So, They were able to come to Fair Haven. This was where this Alexandrian ship landed, Fair Haven. But at Fair Haven, they wanted to stay for winter, but they could not because the people that were in the ship they did not like the Fair Haven. That's what it says in verse eight. And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Haven, near which was the city of Lysi. The fair even Abba was not the Abba they were bound for. It was a fair even but not their even of rest. We're in this world but we're not home yet. Though it was called fear even, it was not their desired even. It was exposed to bad weather and could not sustain them for winter. So, what happened next? So now, first verse, verse 9 to 12, you see uh, 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 Apostle Paul's perception versus the expert's perception. Now, from Fairhaven, it was now going to be decided should we continue our journey or should we not? Is it dangerous to continue or is it not? So this is where they are right now at Fairhaven. So from verse 9, and when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. And he said to the men, I perceive that the voyage will, kind, will certainly be with damage and great loss. Not only of the cargo and the ship, but our lives as well. Verse 11. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain and the, of the ship than by what uh, was being said by Paul verse 12 because the harbor was not suitable for winter the majority reached a decision to put out to sail from there if somehow they will reach phoenix a harbor of crete facing southwest, southwest and northwest and uh, and spend winter there so what is going on here so when they got to fairhaven they now decided to 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 decide if they will come continue or if they will stay but verse nine gives us a clue of what time this void was taking place. He said, When time had passed and the void was now dangerous uh, was not dangerous, since even the fast was already over. The fast here is talking about the young poor or the um, this was when Jews seek to confess their sins in order to achieve reconciliation with God. This is the great fast on the day of atonement of the Jews call Yongepore. That means that this journey was nearly October because the Yongepore, the fasting this talks about, it talks about in the Leviticus chapter 15 and 16, this fasting among the Jews for the day of atonement happens between September and October. So, So, sailing this time, that means it was nearly almost by winter. So they did not, uh, so, they do not sail past the month of November. And between November and March, which was their winter season, nobody sails at that time during November to March. Apostle Paul given an advice that this trip they were on was dangerous. They should not continue to sail. Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo of the ship, but also of our lives. Know that Apostle Paul is a prisoner. Is given considerable freedom to even give some advice to the cruise ship. You can imagine this kind of respect and dignity they have for Paul. So why would Paul say that? Why would he give advice? I may, I perceive this thing when we end up in, 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 we might lose the ship. We might even lose our lives. This is dangerous. Why would he say that? I think I have three reasons. Number one, it could be that he was exercising some prophetic gift. Maybe God had already shown him, this is what's going to happen. That could be. Or number two, maybe it was basic common sense. I mean, Paul looking at what's going on, looked at the weather, looked at the season. Or maybe it could be, number three, it could be based upon past experiences and journeys of Apostle Paul. And Let's talk about past experiences and journeys of Apostle Paul. In Second Corinthians chapter eleven, Paul talks about some of these past experiences of shipwreck. So, this was not the first time he will experience horrible things on the sea. So, in First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty-two, he says, "Are they Jews? Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So I am. Are they ministers of Christ? I am. As a, I speak as a fool. I am more in labor, more abundant in stripes." Above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, from the Jews, I, I five times I received forty stripes minus one, thirty-nine lashes, five times. It's, it even happens today. I mean, uh, in American, uh, maybe uh, punishment or court something. It doesn't happen here, but in the Middle East, in Africa, in maybe in Asia, it happens. They there are some court cases that warrant that you will be. Can't? can you imagine somebody taking 39 lashes five times i don't even know how he survived that one he says he says three times i was beaten with rods ah three times with rods <laughs> he says uh once i was stoned man three times i was shipwrecked so maybe he was drawn from experience telling them look this thing is looking to be dangerous And then, you know, he continued on that. So, let's go back to our text. Verse 11. See, when he said, I perceive this is doing... So, but verse 11. And the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. So, verse 30. Okay, so, and then then let's continue. So, when we are confronted with the dilemma and the word of God contradicts most of the opinions... What will you choose? The captain and the ship owner, along with the centurion, dis- discussed the situation and they decided not to winter at Fairhaven. Their goal was to winter in a larger, safer uh, Cretan port called Phoenix. Not Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> well, this is Phoenix. They decided to go to, you know, that, let's go on. So they continued with the trip contrary to what counsel Paul gave. These sailors will be bored on a uh, with no way of amusing themselves. So they wanted to get out of fear even into a more exciting place. So the question is this. What are the experts and the culture telling us now that is contrary to God's word? You know um I was telling uh, uh you know some young people uh you know thank God for Pastor Jim this morning we baptized uh, two children. You know, and he, I was amazed because he focused on the book of Genesis to, to talk about, uh, uh, you know, gender. He was talking about, you know, how God created a man and a woman and then God blessed them to fruitful and multiply. So here we are with contrary, uh, uh, uh sayings that are contradicting God's word. Here were the experts, they are telling them, but here was Paul, I'm sure from God, telling them this is genuine, but they believe the experts more than they believe the word of God. So also today, our society is believing the experts more than the word of God. We talk about gender issues. I mean, can you imagine in our day with science, you're telling me that man can get pregnant? Do you know that is what they are even saying? And there are many genders. <laughs> Thank God for what, you know, pastor was sharing this morning about the family, God's ordained structure. See, the society also does not even want to define a woman. Can you imagine that? Define a woman. And then they will be talking all this rigmarole, all this... I mean, what is a woman? We can't even define a woman in our society. see, it's your decision making. Who in your decision making? Who guides you? Many like the centurion and the experts may show respect for godly people, but they will never take their advice. Who do you listen to? God's word, God's counsel, or the experts with godless counsel? So let's continue. So they continue the journey, contrary to what Paul told them. So from verse thirteen. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing that we had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. So what is this here? So there was a, a wonderful wind that blowed slowly. And then they started sail. Everything was looking wonderful. And this is what happens sometimes when we fail to yield the counsel of God. It may seem as if things are going well. They imagine that because the sound was blowing softly, it will always blow so. They can uh, confidently return to sea. So they continue. All of a sudden, there arose a tempestuous wind that is not only contrary, but directly directly at them so they could not go forward. A violent wind which raises the waves. This graphic description is not like experience one should go through at all. Now, as I've told you, let's talk about the seas. They were in the sea. How far can you swim in an ocean where water goes as far as your eyes can see when you cannot even see land? Water in September to October is so cold, one will inevitably die of hypothermia or freeze to death. You also have lots of sea creatures to eat you or bite you. They will even thank God that God has provided food for them. Yeah. So so you can be... You, that talks about slow death. You could drown. May we never experience shipwreck or boat wreck or airplane crash. Here you have violent wind, tempests. When you talk about temptuous winds in this passage, it's an English word for Typhoon hurricane cyclone surging water wild waves cut you know cut the ship everything was so sudden the violent that they could not uh, and violent that they could not even turn the ship around so the question is this in verse 16 look at verse 16 turning under running under the shelter of a of a small island called clodia we were scarcely able to get the ship boat under control So the ship crew began to look at all the measures. What can they do? They started tossing things out overboard. In fact, it came to a point where they have to toss the tackle, toss the equipment, toss the grain, everything, they toss it out. Trying to struggle to survive. So, from 18 to 20, so what happened here? The next day, they were being violently storm-tossed. They began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship tackle overboard with their own hands. Verse 20. Since some, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was sailing us, from then on, all the hope of being saved was gradually abandoned. What happened for many days? And what was the conclusion of those in the ship? Well, the condition was so terrible and scary, neither sun nor moon appeared. They eventually gave up hope of coming out of this whole thing alive. They could not have any guide. Those days, they have no compass or instruments to navigate. They rely on the sun and the moon and the stars to navigate. And everything, not, not, the star was not even showing the moon was not appearing, the sun was not, it was so dark. Now the question you may ask yourself is this, why all these difficulties? Why will God allow all difficulties when Apostle Paul was fulfilling the will of God? Why do these discouraging circumstances keep piling up, though it was God that assured him he will go to Rome on God's behalf? Have you ever that? Have will God even? I mean, if you want to take him to Rome, I think it's going to be on a Learjet or private airplane. But no, through all these storms and raging and near death. So, so what's next? Let's see, twenty-one to twenty-six. And when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, "Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have sailed sail from Crete." and this, uh, this this great uh, damage and loss yet now i urge you to keep your courage for there will be no loss of life among you but only of the ship for this very night an angel of the of god of the god of whom i belong whom i serve stood before me saying do not be afraid paul you must stand before caesar and behold god has granted you all those who are sailing with you therefore keep up your courage men for I have I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. Now man, if it were me, I say, Lord, but why you told me yes, I will go to Rome. Why do you take me through all this? Lord, why do I why? Now the question is, what was Paul see, Paul had warned them not to sail. Well, they did not listen to Paul. Now all in the ship were distressed. I'd gone many days without food due to despair and dreaded fear. No food for many days. Verse 21. And when they had gone a long time without food and Paul stood in their midst said, Man, you ought to have followed my advice. What does that mean? I told you so. I told you so. And it's time now for everybody else, those people calling the shots, to eat the humble pie. It is true. He told us so. And there are many, I just want to digress to give you stories of I told you so. There was this young girl, he was 12 years old. See, I went to a 12-year-old birthday party at my best friend's house, whose party was the same day as mine. And she had a trampoline. I was expressly forbidden to play or jump on the trampoline by my mother, but decided to ignore my mother's advice and did it anyway. I then landed awkwardly on my arm on my back and snap my arm. I spent the next four hours trying to still party and play before it ought so bad that I had to call my mother. Yeah, that's who you call Yeah, mommy. That's all you call. <laughs> I should have stayed off the trampoline. I told you so. You know, husbands and wives, this is wonderful. You know, many times I'm driving with my wife, even with the GPS. Yeah? I may mean, not even to be GPS. Man. I'll say, oh, that's why we're going. Don't worry. I'll take this way. I'll take that way. And many times I end up being lost. And my wife sometimes doesn't see anything. She looks at me like, "I told you so." <laughs> we are husbands were guilty of that. <laughs> it's another story. My, you see, there's two these siblings. See, my sister and I were were picking beans. I did not know that the fence was electric. was there, was an electric one. I touched it and I got zapped. It was terrible. I jumped away from my sister uh, when my sister saw me. I told my sister it was an electric fence that I got zapped, but she did not believe me. Right at the, at the end, she touched the fence. And the, I told you so was what happened in the car on our way back home. The last story is about a woman. A woman would not leave the Lama. Is it called it a llama? Is that an animal? Called a llama? Is that a llama? Yes. See, the woman would not leave the llama alone at the pet zoo. Kept petting this llama. And after I have warned the woman or the, the zoo people told her, please leave the llama alone. Eventually, the ulama had enough and spit all over her. Green goopy speed from head to toe to her waist. The woman was throwing up. Had a tough time getting to her vehicle. So, do we listen to God? These people went through unnecessary losses. They do not have to lose anything if they are listening to God. This is called self-inflicted. And this is, we're all guilty of that. Look at verse 22. And now I urge you to keep your courage for there will be no loss of life among you, only of the sheep. For this very night, an angel of God, to whom I belong, whom I serve, stood before me, saying, do not be afraid. You must stand before Caesar. Behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Wow. The night before, God sent an angel to appear to Paul in the midst of the raging storm. Maybe when Paul was praying. Assuring Paul that God will keep his promise to get Paul to Rome no matter what. Paul was afraid with all the terrible things going on. I have never seen an angel before. I'm talking to you about me. I've never seen an angel. I don't know what they look like. If that is, if that is, but this passage tells us that if that is what it takes to get God to get his plans fulfilling for his servant and children, God will do it. Whatever it takes for God to fulfill his plan, God allowed the angel to appear to encourage Paul. Paul mentioned he belongs to God and served God. Do you belong to God? Do you serve God? Now, look at verse 24. Do not be afraid and saying, Paul, you must stand before Caesar and uh, and behold, God has granted all those who are sailing with you. That is deep. God has granted, see, um, do you believe God? Who do you believe? Who speaks to your life? Now, thank God for parents, grandparents, praying people for the sake of people. Do you know here what, what God was saying is that God has, because of you, Paul, God has granted you everybody in that ship would not be destroyed. What he tells me is that for the sake of Christians, God is averting so many tragedies. Thank God for Christians on the face of the earth. Thank God for grandma and grandpas praying for you, praying for us, praying for people. Many air crashes has been averted because Christians are on board. God's people are on board. Well, you may say, Well, I do not believe that. I do not believe the Bible, okay? Whatever you whether you believe it or not. Huh? It will happen the way God says it will happen. That is what He's saying. It does not matter if you believe it or not. But verse, Paul was saying, but we must run aground. And that's how the last verse. Now, I want you to see something. See, many times we wish life will always have a happy ending. Just like the ones in the movies or what the Hollywood shows us. Many times it doesn't appear so. God, life doesn't have a happy ending sometimes, or most of the time. Well, what are we concluding now? Let's conclude. There are three things I want us to see. Number one, God wants to use you to touch lives in your sphere of influence. The way God used Julius, the centurion, a soldier in charge of Paul, one of the prisoners on the ship to treat Paul with such a great consideration. God wants to use you to touch lives in every your sphere. He was a soldier. Anywhere we are, God wants to use us. That's the first. The second conclusion is this. And we know in Romans 8.28 that all things. No, no, no. Uh, uh, let me quote it right. They say all things work together for good. No. This is the right quotation. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Amen. So we see that God through the shipwreck, through the trip to Rome, God was making all things to work, work together for his own plan. And God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Maybe this passage describes you what you are going through. Maybe life is very hard for you. In verse four, we said, we learned that the wind was contrary. Maybe things are just going contrary in your life. Verse eight, we sail with much difficulty. Maybe your life is filled with difficulties. Verse nine, the way was very dangerous. Maybe you just look at what your situation is. It's very dangerous. Verse 18. Violently storm-tossed. Are you violently storm-tossed? Do you experience life in such way as this now? In fact, it tells us that there was no sun or moon appearing for many days. Maybe you're in a dark place. You cannot see. There's no hope. There's no way. You don't think you can survive. You know what? God wants to go through it with you. God is near. And He knows what you are going through. The last one is encouragement in God. It's in God. We need to believe God and His Word. God is telling us to take courage. He will be with you. He will go through it with you. But the question is this. Are you a child of God? Do you believe God? Do you belong to God? Do you serve God just like Paul? Shall we pray? I want us to really look through this. Maybe you don't have God at the center of your life. Maybe you don't even know this God we're talking about. Maybe you're just going through life. I want to tell you today that we have a God that is concerned, that wants to guide and pilot your life. Maybe you're not born again. Maybe you're not a child of God. Maybe you don't belong to God. As Paul was confident, I belong, who's God whom I belong to and whom I serve. You know, there's provision for you today. You can, you can ask this God to come into your life. Maybe you're going through life. Things are hard. This passage describes you. You are going through tumultuous times. There's darkness. You can't even see. Things are foggy. You're just desperate. You, you're just you, you don't you don't even you can't see the future. Things are gloomy. Things are raging. You know what? God can come through. God can come through. God can rescue. There's no, you know, it can it can do the magic, it can do the miracle. But the good thing is he can go through with you. You know, I, I just wanted to pray. I, I will invite Pastor Jim to come up and, and just close us with a word of prayer.
1: Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this amazing story and the reminder that you come in the midst of our storms and stand with us and speak to us And, uh, Lord, we're also reminded that uh, there are those around us who are not receiving those messages from you. Teach us what it means to live in response to the promptings of your Holy Spirit as, uh, as we live our lives in this world. And, Lord, we know we're surrounded by those who don't believe and yet who are watching our lives, observing us, And may we be men and women of integrity and men and women of faith and obedience and courage. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit and the gift of your word. Take these things that our brother Abiodun has shared with us today and apply them, we pray, in practical and life-changing ways to our hearts